hello my son that's weird what the hello my son i feel Dude. like i feel like alistair is like i know i know he's a youngin but i don't feel like he's our son uh i mean did you did did you go did you go through 14 hours of hard labor no he's my child <laughs> fair Gay Space Rocks, the Steven Universe watching podcast where we watch <laughs> Steven Universe. Uh, my name is Brian. Uh, you can find me on the internet at RoomwarePod, and you can find this podcast on Twitter at Gay Space Pod. With me, as always, is my mercurial <laughs> co host, August. I mean, I, I guess I could be that. I don't know. I mean, I'm fully vaccinated, so like, isn't Mercury supposed to be in vaccines? Um, that makes me mercurial, right? Um, sure. Yeah, we'll go with that. Um, hello, I'm August. You can find me on the internet at Harpydora on Twitter, and my pronouns are they them. Uh, so uh. Uh, there's no cartoon news this week, right? Uh, I'm pretty sure there's not. Not that I'm aware of. Anything. Like, is Bad Batch um, live action? No. It's a cartoon. I watched it. We'll talk about it here in a second. I mean, we don't have to talk about it. It's just that seems like cartoon news. Bad Batch came out. It's true. New uh, extension spinoff of Star Wars The Clone Wars. Uh, more directly than the other Star Wars series that proceed- or came after the... Uh, uh, Clone Wars, um, uh, mostly because this has to deal with clones. <laughs> there are, in fact, clones in it. Uh, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Um, August, have you watched any cartoons? Uh, shit. I'm sure we have. <laughs> I think I think we've watched uh, some more Star versus the Forces of Evil since the last time we talked. Um, cool. Yeah, Buff Frog continues to be a very good character uh, <laughs> oh that that is why i keep seeing amber's status change to things vaguely revolving around frogs yeah it's buff frog is very good uh mm-hmm. but otherwise we're behind on uh falcon and winter soldier um need to get caught up on that where did you guys leave off at this point, we're like two, maybe three episodes behind. Uh, the last episode that we watched involved like Sam and Bucky, like training. You know, there was a training montage, and then like it looked like they were going to kiss, but they didn't. They no homed the whole thing because uh, Bucky was hitting on Sam's sister. Is that the episode where Sam like throws the shield at a bunch of trees? Yes. You're one episode from the end, August. Oh. Yeah. It's the end. Okay. Uh. Yeah, you're at the end of that show. Oh. Okay. Well, we'll we'll have <laughs> to finish it. I I don't know. I don't know how many episodes these things are supposed to be. 
If only Disney Plus listed how many episodes were in the series. I don't log on to Disney Plus until I'm ready to to watch something. <laughs> but yeah, you're like one hour away from the end of that series. Okay, well then I guess we'll finish that up this weekend. And I'll probably continue to be pissed about the politics of the show and also pissed that Sam and Bucky are not kissing. God damn, will you be perturbed about the politics of that show in the final episode of the show? I'm not surprised. (laughs) Uh, Uh, They're like Captain America 4 announced with the, the, the director of that show coming on as the writer for it. And I'm like... Uh, sh- sure. I guess we're gonna continue to content, like have like turbo fucked politics with Captain America. Great, love it. Yeah. Uh, Winter Soldier is still the best Captain America movie. Yes. Uh, just because like it's very self contained. It doesn't deal with any actual like it deals with the surveillance state sort of, but the end it's just like a bunch of secret fucking magical Nazis. So it's like whatever at the end, mm-hmm. you know. I'm fine with this. Yeah. Uh, had frankly, Winter Soldier is cool because of the tie-in to Agents of Shield at the time, mm-hmm. where it made that show go from like, I don't know why I'm still watching this to like, holy shit, what the fuck? Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh oh, and did you, ever, did you watch Agents of Shield? I, I watched a little bit. Uh my mom was more into it than I was really. Uh, so you know, like the season one twist when it comes to the Winter Soldier. I mean that that Shield is Hydra. No, it's not just that Shield is Hydra. The character that is like the the most boring motherfucker on the team, who's like Captain, like who's Mister like Buzz Cut by the books or whatever, mm-hmm. turns out to be like a Hydra agent and then goes on to be the best character in the show. <laughs> just like. Makes a what like makes a three hundred and sixty degree turn where you watch him in one scene go from like a cardboard cutout of a man to a fully developed character because he was acting like a guy acting like a guy the whole time. Uh. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. sorry. What were you saying? <laughs> um, I've been periodically poking my head into Mash. Uh, <laughs> that's that's a good cartoon right there. Yep. Uh, still holds up. Uh, it's very good. BJ and Hawkeye are in love. <laughs> Who wrote the mash game? Did you write the mash game? I am working on writing a mash game. Right. That's, that's why I keep I poking my head in. I had a friend who loved mash in high school. It's which a is a weird show. time to love mash. I mean, <laughs> you know, it, it could be weirder, but... Yeah, I mean, you would, it's a we good would show. go over to her house, and they they lived out kind of like in like not in the wood like they had a farm, uh, and their house was too far away from the road to have cable and satellite just doesn't work very good here. Period. Mm-hmm. Um, so they just didn't have anything except for like you know rabbit ears, uh, it, but they had like a bunch of DVD box sets. So like every time we would go over to her house, the only thing that was ever on the fucking television was Mash or the West Wing. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> And this is not, like, her parents choosing this. This is her, a 15-year-old, <laughs> choosing, ah, uh, yes, my two favorite things, MASH or West Wing. Or anime. Uh-huh. <laughs> Fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
So Brian, I watched. The, yeah. What mm-hmm. what cartoon have you been watching? Uh, I mean, I watched the Bad Batch. There's only one episode that's come out so far. I am kind of glad that Disney is forcing the model of television show back into like. Oh God, me too. Standard releases, because I listen. I will binge a whole thing. And sometimes they like some things work pretty okay in a bingeable format. Uh, I did that with uh, Infinity Train, but also the episodes were only eleven minutes a piece, so it's pretty it's pretty easy to kind of sit down and bang through it and kind of treat it more like a movie. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But like, I'm also the kind of person who doesn't have a whole lot of self control with that. So like, I'd be like, ah, oh, yes, I'll watch all of Daredevil tonight before work, mm-hmm. like. <laughs> Uh, you know, shit like that. But they released one episode of Bad Batch. It was an hour long, though, so I don't know if this is going to continue to be the format. Uh, I would like it. It felt really good. Also, goddamn, does that show continue to look fucking great. And then I look at other shows, like, that I enjoyed, like Pacific Rim The Black, and I'm like, wow, why does your animation look so bad? And then, like, over here in Bad Batch land, this shit looks like a movie. Like, and I realize that's probably partly uh, the, you know, the money behind it. But, like, the later seasons of, of Clone Wars before Disney bought Star Wars, they also still looked very good. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I don't know what's up with people. Um... The, let's see, what else did I watch this week? Uh, I watched one episode of Warrior, also on HBO Max. Uh, it's like a show that's theoretically adapted from like a, a Bruce Lee script treatment. Basically, it's like set in the uh, turn of the century, like railroad expansion uh, in, uh, in California when they were bringing in, uh, like, uh, Chinese migrant workers to work on the railroad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it follows, like, a Chinese, like, uh, guy doing, like, basically his, you know, he's doing, like, revenge movie stuff, um, to, to show the martial arts in are fucking phenomenal. <laughs> uh. Neat. And that's why I'm watching it, to be perfectly honest, of, like, martial arts shows. I watched all of Into the Badlands. That show sucked. Um, but I like Wushu wire fights, so let's rumble. <laughs> uh, let's see. I also watched some of Invincible, so that's pretty good. Uh, do you know what Invincible is? I do not. Okay. Invincible is a comic by Robert Kirkman of The Walking Dead fame. Uh, it basically follows like a su- teenage superhero as he, you know, grows into his powers and has to deal with the responsibility of becoming a hero, right? Pretty rote script treatment, except it's Robert Kirkman. So basically, like, the kid, I'm going to spoil this because they do it at the end of the first episode. Uh, turns out his dad, who is Omni-Man, like this world's version of Superman, uh, is not what he seems to be. Is maybe a genocidal maniac. Like you um, do. Yeah. Uh, also, the show is just fucking gory beyond reason. Uh, there is like there's a an after credit sequence in the first episode that's ten minutes long of Omni Man just like killing people for ten minutes. 
Um, it's pretty dope. Uh, the final episode of the season is fucking wild with the level of destruction that they get up to. So, it's pretty good. They're making some slight changes to the comic that seem to be solid. Um, J.K. Simmons is Omni-Man, so, like, just brings the exact level of dread needed for a character like him uh, in only the way that J.K. Simmons can. That sounds like a rip-roaring good time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Alrighty. Well, let's get into our episodes for the week. Um, we are watching episodes 65, 66, and 67, Onion Friend, Historical Friction, and Friendship. At the end of the episode, so oh, I've got to preface this. I was fucking wrong last week, um, or last time when when I talked about how many episodes we had left in the season. Uh, from this episode, we have four episodes left in the season. We're going to have to kind of fuck with the format a little bit just because of the weird way. I was going off of what HBO Max had, like a dummy. Um, so, uh, the, you know, the, uh, what is the, the order that's on the wiki is what we've been going off of where we're going to continue to go off of. So next time, we're only going to do two episodes and then it's back to three episodes through this, the end of this season. Um, but, uh, 66, 67, 68, historical friction, friend, no, wait, uh, 65, 66, and 67, I'm the best at this. Onion friend, historical friction, friendship, let's go. Onion friend, episode 65, written by Lamar Abrams and Katie Mitroff, um, uh, it was the 13th episode of the second season, uh, third episode, and the third Stephen Bomb. Wow. Wow. Ep official episode synopsis. Stephen and Amethyst visit the strange world of Onion's house. Actually, yeah, that I'd give that a passing grade. I guess so. I've I've peeked a little bit at some of these. Some of these are really bad. <laughs> Yeah, I saw a couple of them on the Steven Universe wiki while I was uh, making sure I was watching the right episodes. Uh, uh huh. Yeah, and they're just fucking ter ter like maybe some of the worst we've ever seen. But anyways, yeah. Oh, go on. Sorry, I'd I'd give this one a pass. Yeah. The episode begins with Steven making like a perfect bagel sandwich. Let's stop for a moment. That is a great looking sandwich. Oh god, it made me hungry. Uh, also, I think uh, Binging with Babish does an episode about this bagel. Uh, I'll have to look it up. But uh, making a bagel sandwich, uh, he is happily assembling his ingredients with the sandwich, but hesitates to eat it, stating that it requires a side. Amethyst enters the room, uh, and Stephen greets her, asking if she wanted... Um, well, asking initially if she wanted to eat these, uh, the uh, cream cheese container, which she does not. Uh, she's acting very depressed. Uh, and he asks if she has seen Garnet and Pearl, to which she uh, responds uh, that, uh, uh, that uh, no. Uh, Stephen asks her where they've been or where they're at. And she says probably somewhere not talking to each other. So, you know, that situation hasn't been resolved yet. Um Stephen finally decides that he should what should go with his sandwich is some chips. So he uh, reaches into the cabinet for a bag of maximum barbecue chaps. 
uh, only to find that Onion is in his cupboard. Onion grabs the bag, jumps from the cupboard, uh, jukes Steven, and then Onion jumps through the screen door and Steven gives chase. Uh, he chases Onion basically down the street uh, until Onion ducks into a house with a tarp over the gar- open garage door, only to find the garage full of portraits of Amethyst. This freaks Steven out somewhat, and he goes to get Amethyst. They return, uh, looking at the paintings as Amethyst is examining them, only to be uh, accosted by a woman in a house robe, uh, carrying a shotgun. It's Vidalia. Uh, Amethyst and Vidalia immediately recognize each other. They have a cute little uh, meeting where they, they, they sort of, like, talk about how they have either changed or not changed. Uh, and then Amethyst goes on to say that Vidalia and her are old friends. They used to hang out with Steven's dad when they were younger, uh, except Vidalia was cooler. So Amethyst just started hanging out with Vidalia. Um, uh, we learned that Vidalia is uh, Onion's mom, even though I think we may have seen her in the background being Onion's mom. I don't remember exactly. I don't remember either. Uh, but... Uh, uh, Onion, uh, like Vidalia and, and Amethyst are reminiscing quite a bit, and uh, Onion invites uh, Amethyst and Stephen to stay for dinner. Stephen is hesitant to do this, but Amethyst is very eager to do so. Let's likely spend some time with her friend that she hasn't seen in a while. Uh, at dinner, uh, Amethyst is finishing up her plate of noodles and butter. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can be good. Thank you very much. Not just noodles and butter. You've got to have something to stick to it. Like you've got to have some, you know, some freshly grated Parmesan or maybe, you know, a little bit of some sort of seasoning. It can't just be noodles plus butter. That's gross. Well, I am sure. Listen, I we're going to get into this in a moment. We're going to get into this in a moment. <laughs> um, We will get to this. Okay. Anyways, they're eating dinner, <laughs> reminiscing. Um, they talk about whether or not Vidalia has heard from Marty, uh, as uh, Amethyst talks about how big sour cream has gotten. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Onion's over there. He's, like, carving a sculpture of Steven's head from mashed potatoes, <laughs> then licks it then spits out the mashed potatoes while Stephen just stares stone-faced at this horrible thing happening in front of him. Um, Onion uh, asks to show Stephen around the house, uh, to st- which Stephen's like, no, we should probably be leaving, and Amethyst is like, nah, we should stay, it's fine. So Onion takes Stephen up to his room. Uh, in Onion's room's pretty messy, uh, but overall it's not that bad. Uh, Stephen is watching Onion just fucking go hog wild, bouncing on a bed, uh, when a little mouse runs up and stands on Stephen's shoe, and he's like, oh my god, is this, like, your little pet? And Onion, uh, kind of catches the mouse, um, gives it over to Stephen, uh, or actually, he goes to put it in a large tank that's in his his room that's darkened. And when he turns on the light, turns out there's a snake in there. And Stephen Grok's like, oh, no, do I need to feed this mouse to the snake? And Onion nods his head. Yes, Stephen, reluctant to do this, uh, can't bring himself to shove the mouse into the tank, gives it over to Onion, uh, who 
theoretically puts it into the tank. Um, then Onion picks up a videotape. Uh, Steven's watching this like, oh, what's this hospital scene? And then realizes this is somehow a videotape of Onion being born that Onion has gotten hold of. Steven, at the end of his rope at this point, uh, watches as Steve or as Onion climbs onto the bed, tears down a poster that says door to reveal a secret passage hidden behind the poster. This is enough. Steven's like, fuck this shit. I'm out. He goes to walk downstairs, telling about to calling out to Amethyst, saying that they should leave uh, when he here overhears Amethyst talking to Vidalia. Amethyst is talking about um, how bad things are home, how she feels trapped. Uh, Vidalia says that she understands the concerns and that she relates to it, saying that her family doesn't always get along with each other. Yellowtail and sour cream are always at each other's throats, and this drives Vidalia nuts. Um, when that happens, she always thinks of Amethyst, who could always go with the flow in any situation. Amethyst denies her assertion, uh, and claims that Vidalia is the one that is the true, like, coolness master. Uh, say, Amethyst saying that she just kind of hung around and absorbed Vidalia's general vibe. Um, and basically, like, Vidalia's like, listen, you could always handle anything, and I looked up to you and you were an inspiration. That's why I paint pictures of you, because you're an inspiration to me. Uh, Steven, seeing that Amethyst is getting uh, sort of an emotional outlet that she needs that she can't really get anywhere else steals himself and returns to Onion's room, ready to face any horror that he might have, he might find in there. He follows Onion into the fucking murder tunnel, hidden in his wall, uh, and they climb through to discover a, a room with a picture of, like, 2001 A Space Onion uh, painted on the wall there. Uh, Onion opens a chest, Stephen assuming something horrible is inside, but it's actually just full of guys and also gals, which I guess is a complimentary toy line. Um, they're going through it, uh, Stephen marveling at all the rare guys and gals that Onion has, uh, when Onion offers him a, um, an explorer gal, uh, Stephen is reluctant to take it at first, but Onion insists and they sit down, they kind of go through all of the guys and gals. Uh, later that night, Stephen and Amethyst are finally leaving. Uh, they're standing in front of the door. Uh, Amethyst is like, hey, thanks for listening and thanks for dinner. And Vidalia is like, uh, yeah, feel free to come by anytime. And also stuff at home is going to be OK. It's going to blow over eventually. Uh, and Amethyst also invites Vidalia uh, to the temple, saying that uh, she can come over and then Stephen and you can hang out. Steven looks to Onion in this moment, who slowly opens his mouth to re reveal that he hid the mouse from earlier inside his mouth. Presumably, this entire time, uh, the mouse scurries away with Steven ner la nervously laughs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, we'll see. Uh, Star wipe at the end. Yeah. <sighs> this is an episode for sure. It. There are many episodes, and this sure is one of them. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Steven's, uh, Steven's sandwich game on fucking point. Yes, and I think it's very interesting because, like, I don't remember if it was you who mentioned it, um, but somebody mentioned it in, in the beginning with, like, Together Breakfast. It was all stuff that you could toast or microwave, but we actually see Steven cooking this time. Yeah, uh, doesn't he make an egg? Yeah, he makes an egg for this. So, character growth. Yeah. 
And also... And it's healthier than all the other stuff that he's been eating up until now. Yes. Yeah. This is like a real sandwich like a normal person eats. Yes. Not the abomination that is together breakfast. I don't know. I'd probably destroy a together breakfast, but... Uh, according to Babish, who made together breakfast, it's uh, not good. <laughs> Well, I mean, so. you know, if you make it out of Eggo waffles and all the rest, being you know, like store mm-hmm. pancake syrup and stuff, it's evidently not that great. But it doesn't look like Eggo waffles. Those waffles look good. It's true. Well, I think uh, I think Babish also makes the fancy version too. Yeah, and the yeah. fancy version I recall wasn't too bad, but. Yeah. It's neither here nor there. Like he's actually cooking now, and it's a real person meal. Yeah, he's a uh, he's he's getting more responsible. Yeah, it's our boy. Um, I I do like the con. Now, I, obviously, this is part of the same Stephen Bomb. Uh, but I like how this Stephen Bomb carries the continuity of the like fight between Pearl and Garnet all the way through it. Hmm. Um, but it's not like you can still catch the episodes out of order and realize something's up. But obviously, the, this is them moving into a more serialized format, I feel like. That makes sense. Um, um, Onion is a fucking demon throughout. It's true. I The thing that is wild is like Steven is upset that Onion's in his cabinet, but upset in the way of like, God damn it, this is happening again. Sort of way. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, so... Onion does this, I guess, often. Yeah. Uh, Either that or Onion's just done enough weird stuff throughout time and space that Steven is unsurprised by whatever Onion throws at him. This is true. Um, I do like also this shows, again, like when Steven's chasing him, talking about how it's a limited edition flavor. Steven loves collectibles. Yes. Uh, and I like that about him. <laughs> it's a very good uh, character trait. It's true. He loves special editions and weird little stuff. Like, I, I enjoy that he's got that kind of running character character trait. Um, also, I was surprised to see Vidalia have just a straight up shotgun. Uh-huh. <laughs> like... Like, this is a show that has barely established... I don't think uh, Mayor Dewey's bodyguards had shotguns. They just had radios, right? Yes, I believe you're correct. Yeah. Or not, they obviously wouldn't have shotguns. They didn't have guns. Um, So, you know, like, I guess in my head, I just forgot that she came out with a shotgun. And, but I knew that she came out, so I was expecting her to come out with, like, a baseball bat. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Something that fits more the tone of Steven Universe, not, I will shoot a motherfucker. <laughs> it, I don't know. There's there's so many things in this episode that just kind of speak to both who Vidalia is as a person and, like, the kind of life she leads. You know, the fact that her first instinct is to grab a fucking shotgun in Beach City is... Uh, a lot. Yeah, um, like the chillest town in probably the world. Yeah. Though I guess also sometimes you've got to shoot a gym monster. Yeah, and 
she definitely seems to be pretty, you know, I don't want to say like completely in the know about gem shit, but she, you know, Amethyst doesn't seem to have hidden anything from her about that. So, yeah, she's more in the know than your average boardy. Exactly. So. I don't know. There's just a lot of a lot of little touches that that paint a really good picture of like the negative space around who Vidalia is as a person that lets you fill in some some gaps. Um, and I love her dynamic with Amethyst. They are great together. I love them. They fucked, right? Yeah, I guess so. I wrote in my notes, I love these two, some other note, and then in big capital letters, I love these two. They're Mostly, so oh, good. It, it, it's revolving around uh, Vidalia intentionally giving Steven shit about how hot his dad used to be. Yeah. <laughs> and then Amethyst being like, yeah, your dad used to be hot. <laughs> Further adding fuel to the, like, Amethyst and Greg definitely fucked uh, fire as well. Yeah. Uh-huh. So. Yeah. Um, uh, it's just, it's really nice. It's nice to see Amethyst having friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you had mentioned to me at some point that Amethyst had friends outside of the Crystal Gems and Greg, and, you know, now, you know, a friend outside of the Crystal Gems and Greg, and that's nice. And it's nice. It's nice that she has someone to lean on who's not Steven. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because that poor boy is already carrying the weight of so much as it is. But Yeah, and it does seem like she's trying to not lean on, on him, like not talk to him about this stuff, because she knows they're all going through it, right? She yeah. gets it. Yeah, um, and it's it's kind of inappropriate to put that on Steven. And I think she realizes that. Yeah. Um, also, I don't know the picture, you know, the picture where, uh, Vidalia is curling Amethyst's hair. Mm hmm. When she puts that on the board, there's like a little photo booth, uh, of Amethyst and, uh, like photo booth series of three pictures, with Amethyst and Vidalia, mm-hmm. where Amethyst like turns into Marty and makes a dumb face. <laughs> Yeah, I saw that there was the photo booth pictures, but I didn't take a good look at what they were of. I just assumed they were Amethyst and Vidalia. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, time to have our big, apparently the big discussion of what this episode or what this episode of our show is going to be. And uh, you can just put butter on pasta. It's okay. No. Yes. Okay. No. It's it not. It's not just okay. 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 I guess. It's not so a at no point did say Vidalia like butter on pasta is like a like a blanket term. You don't list every ingredient that you do. So it's it, it's noodles. You toss them with some butter. OK, you salt it, you pepper it. Maybe you throw some garlic in there. If if if, okay. if, you, if you don't have a whole lot of time, maybe you just it's just garlic powder. That's OK. Listen, yeah. I get it. Okay. Uh, yeah. The, the but you don't call a, that all the ingredients. <laughs> the butter is a binding agent for something else, and it's not. No, the butter itself is also good. Just butter and pasta is like no. we, we obviously have to have salt. We just taste with like salt is how we taste 
things. Um, I don't count salt as an ingredient. <laughs> um, but you can just toss butter and pasta with like a little bit of salt on it. It's good. No. It's traditional. Brian. Mm-hmm. You've met me. Do I look like the kind of person who gives a shit about tradition? You know, the more I get into Italian food and the more I start cooking, like, not Americanized Italian pasta dishes, the more I'm like, oh, wow, we've really fucked up pasta, huh? <laughs> eh. So. Fair. Uh, when you, like, sometimes I'm just like, wow, there's only, like, three ingredients in this pasta dish, one of which is butter. <laughs> uh, they do noodles and butter on... Uh, also on a binging with Babbage episode because I guess it's uh, Troy's favorite dish from Community. Um, he does a pretty good, pretty good rendition of that. Okay. Uh, but yes, you can just the butter is also an ingredient. It's the butter is the sauce, and it can be just the sauce. And then you put like a you don't necessarily have to put a little bit of garlic in there, but it you know it helps. Uh, crack some pepper. Season it with salt. Boom. There you go. Now, is it like the only thing that you're going to eat? No. Uh, but I guess they also had potatoes. Because <sighs> it did seem like Stephen had potatoes on his plate. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, Onion did too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, Onion may have, she may have just made mashed potatoes for Onion because Onion seems like the kind of kid who only eats like one thing. Yeah. And also, you you don't want to anger him because you have no idea what powers he might possess. I don't know. Like, <laughs> the entire family dynamic is very interesting to me because in some ways it does feel like Onion is a bit of a different character when he's home. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Vidalia tries to be supportive. It's interesting to me the way that uh, she characterizes... Yellowtail's relationship with sour cream and it kind of makes me wonder I don't know it with the I guess she's kind of laissez-faire for the most part and so that might be why they get into it seemingly like I don't know I feel like if I had a significant other and I had a kid from a previous history like i might be interested in trying to get the significant other to get along with the kid but well i think what i'm assuming is that this wasn't always the dynamic between sour cream and yellowtail uh that probably as sour cream got older it's just that natural tension that teenagers have a tendency to have with the adults in their life mm-hmm. and the adults feed into you know? Yeah, that's fair. Because, uh, like, probably what it is that Yellowtail is, like... I, I can't imagine being a fisherman is an easy job. <laughs> no. No. Um, and I also probably wouldn't want to come home to see my electric bill is uh, redonkulous because my son uh, is draining all of the power in the known world to, to push some subs. You know? Yeah. So, it's probably just, like, a lack of communication and also just, like, to me, it's just being characterized as, like, teenage, like, parents that just don't understand sort of situation. 
Um, I do like that she's just like she just kind of lets on she's like lets onion go like there's no way to stop him I just must direct like I cannot stop the flow I can only direct it <laughs> yeah yeah uh so I know we usually do questions comments at the end of the episode but we only honestly had one because I was late and August picked up the slack really hard for me um but yeah, we had only one reply because I was late to the game. I almost crushed a man at work today, so I wasn't thinking about things. Uh, I'll tell you that story in a bit. Uh, well, I didn't almost crush a man at work today. The people who uh, loaded a pallet before it got to me almost crushed a man at work today. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, it was good times. Uh, so uh, Izzy says, Onion is fucking terrifying, and also I always read him as autistic coded, which is, mmm, I don't, uh, uh, it's unfortunate considering how his character is used. I also want more sour cream and onion content for the show, uh, from the show, goddamn. Uh, so I, I feel reading Onion as autistic is fair, but how I always read Onion is like, I think Onion's only like four years old, like four or five years old. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's, and he's I, definitely little. Yeah, I think it's the writers kind of heightening just how fucking like esoteric and eldritch small children can be sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I can see that, but I can also definitely see where Izzy's coming from because he he gets a lot of trappings that... uh that other autistic coded characters and media get mm -hmm. um, just like some of the, the odd takes he has and you know, the, the way that the narrative treats him, like I can, I can definitely see it. And yeah, it's, it's definitely unfortunate with the way that like, he's also low key coded as potentially being evil that's fair. I don't necessarily think he's evil. Uh, I think his his motivations are beyond our human comprehension. He uh, definitely does a lot of stuff that <laughs> that is, is not nice. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's not like a nice kid. Um, and that's fair. I just, I guess, I just never saw it. Never like hit me that. I mean, I I can see it. I can see the traits. I just it always just felt like interacting with really small children just turned up to taking the dial and turning that up to 12 with onion. Mm -hmm. Um, just cause little kids can be like that where they just have like weird things about food and they just act in a way that just doesn't make any sense and can be mean without being intentionally mean because mm -hmm. they don't quite understand like, like things beyond their own interiority, you know? Yeah. Um, and especially because like, uh, Peridot always felt more, more overtly coded as autistic. Yeah, she so. definitely also feels that way. Yeah, like more so to me than it may just be because like she talks and explains herself in a language that we can understand. That's not like the yellow tail memes. Yeah. So. I don't know. I did think it was it was kind of interesting the way that this episode sort of humanized onion yeah because like 
he's definitely still Onion, but he actively makes choices to, like, demonstrate that he likes Steven with uh, giving him the Explorer gal and showing him, you know, his collection. But also, like, the thing with the mouse at the end, like, I legit thought Onion was going to eat the mouse, like just um, closes his mouth back slowly, fade to black. Well, well, no, like, like in the in the bedroom, I legit thought Onion was going to take the mouse and just shove it in his mouth, which I guess he did. But like, obviously, <laughs> he did swallow after. Yeah, but obviously, Stephen was really upset about the concept of feeding the mouse to the snake, and so, you know, that at the end, you know, could easily be read as Onion demonstrating, "Hey, I didn't kill this mouse because it made you uncomfortable." But he went about it in such a deeply distressing way. It's true. The other thing, I guess, that I never realized, like, I never grok that as Onion, is because, like, we're gonna see in Steven Universe future, Onion doesn't change as the series goes along. He just stays the same. <laughs> That's upsetting. It is. <laughs> so, um, plot twist, Onion is not Yellowtail's kid. He's Amethyst's kid. Oh my god. <laughs> it makes more sense. That really does make this more sense. This is our new headcanon. <laughs> Onion is... Vidalia and Amethyst's kid, but Vidalia doesn't want to tell Amethyst and or doesn't realize. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Because she does say it's been just me and Yellowtail here for a while, implying that she was with some other people at some point in time, along with Yellowtail. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Amethyst knows Yellowtail. Yeah. So. Boom. Boom. I mean, yep. is in fact a Jim hybrid child. Yep. Inherited all of the all of the 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 gremlin traits from his two moms. God, that's so much gremlin. It's too much. That's what that's what happens. It's too much, and that's how we got we got onion. Jesus Christ! All of those theories about Onion being a gem because he has no ears are actually true. It's true. He's half gem, like Steven. Except Amethyst somehow figured out a different way to do it. Well, Amethyst wasn't the one carrying him. Yeah, exactly. They should have. If Greg had taken one for the team, Rose Quartz would still be here. I don't think that the gems are powerful <laughs> enough to do that to Greg. <laughs> Uh, also, small things. I love when uh, Stephen is gonna is trying to decide to to feed the mouse to the or the mouse to the snake. Uh, the the mouse has this like "what the fuck, bro" expression that it does at Stephen that I love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, at the end, uh, Amethyst like Amethyst. Uh, obviously has like huge crush on Vidalia. Oh, yeah. Obvs. Obviously. I mean, she sired a child with her, so. Yes. Um, uh, Steven also the, just the best boy in this in this episode. Like, yes. Being, d- d- continuing to just like, all right, I've got to take one for the team here because Amethyst needs this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Literally turning around, walking back into hell for Amethyst. 
Yeah. <sighs> Poor guy. All right. Yep. Boop 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 boop. New game. Uh huh. What guy gal are you? Um. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, I feel like podcaster guy at this point. I was gonna say, are we a set? Are you podcaster guy and I'm podcaster gal? (laughs) (laughs) Well, between the two of us, you do have the longer hair, so. I love Listen, how I don't just feel like Karen. guys and gals are determined by gender. I saw triangle gal. Yes. <laughs> All right. I think that's enough on Onion Friend. I don't have anything else. Do you have any other notes? Uh, no, that's that's about it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a lightish week, except Onion Friend is so like it has as little plot relevance as historical friction. Well, I guess not little, but there's not a whole lot of like hard plot. It's just kind of sprinkled in there. It's it's a character um, development episode, really. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but it probably has an, as, as much plot as historical friction, except historical friction isn't as audacious as Onion Friends. So it, it, yeah. there, there's less like, what the fuck moments to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Uh, All righty. Moving on to episode 66, Historical Friction. This one was written by Hilary Florido and uh, Jesse. Is it Jess or Jesse? J-E-S-S-E? It's usually Jesse when it has an E on the end. Jesse Zook. I think I've been pronouncing their name wrong. Um, The official synopsis. Stephen and Jamie put on a play about the founding of Beach City. Sure. Yeah. 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 Uh, The episode begins as Jamie approaches the beach house, calling out for Stephen. Stephen races in to greet uh, Jamie. Uh, he asks Jamie if he has the goods, to which Jamie takes out a flyer advertising a play. Uh, he's holding auditions for the play tonight, and it's about the founding of Beach City, as it said in the synopsis. Uh, Stephen offers himself as an actor, saying, uh, so in a just terrible accent, um... The, uh, the two of them high-five, say acting, and then... Uh, we transition over to the audition, audition, audition. Uh, at the stage during the rehearsal, uh, Stephen asks Jamie where the other actors are. Jamie says that they are the only ones, but is optimistic and says that some plays they only have one actor in them, so they're doing twice as good as them. Uh, he hands uh, Stephen a copy of the script. It's called the play is called Beach City or Bust: The Tale of William Dewey. Jamie says that uh, since it's his first production, that the play must be well written. Um, Jamie discouragedly exclaims that the play is funded by Mayor Dewey, who also wrote the play. Uh, Stephen asks Jamie what the play is about, but Mayor Dewey comes in uh, comes on stage and starts to explain the premise of the play. The play dom- uh, documents the founding of Beach City by Mayor Dewey's great 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 grandfather William Dewey. Uh, it's an important play because it has a lot of sentimental and political importance to Mayor Dewey. Uh, Jamie is about to start the rehearsal uh, and offers for Mayor Dewey to stay, which he uh, does, and promptly turns the seat around backwards and wraps with the cool kids. 
um, since Steven is the only one who showed up, uh, he gets the lead role and Jamie's going to play, uh, everybody the fuck else. Uh, basically the story details William Dewey, uh, in this version of it, he's just like a fucking badass. He's good at everything. He's fucking phenomenal. Uh, and when the ship reaches, uh, a, a great storm, uh, William Dewey uses his, magical powers to grow to 50 feet tall, pick up the boat, put it on the beach, the end of the play. Um, Stephen compliments Mayor Dewey on his fantastic storytelling, while Jamie is trying to suggest some subtle edits to the play. Um, and Mayor Dewey objects, basically saying that this is uh, how it's going to be. Uh, he's funding this. Shit the fuck up. <laughs> and then leaves. Uh, Jamie, uh, explains to Stephen that, like, the play is going to be really bad because Mayor Dewey, or William Dewey, the character, has no flaws, that he doesn't struggle, that he's basically perfect, and that's boring, and everyone's going to hate the play. It's gonna be his first and his last play. Uh, Stephen returns to the temple, uh, where he's greeted, well, well, he greets Pearl, who's, like, sitting on the couch, kind of blankly staring at the ceiling, uh, indicating that uh, Garnet is still mad at her. Uh, Steven tries to get her attention and succeeds after a few seconds. Uh, he tells her um, basically about what's going on with the play, that um, it's a story about William Dewey, and Pearl's like, William Dewey? How the fuck do you know William Dewey? Uh, and she goes on to explain that she knows who William Dewey is because she met him all those years ago. Uh, and that, uh, this play is in ter like, terribly historically inaccurate, and also says that William Dewey was in fact, or saying that Ruggedly Handsome was a stretch, nuking a, a, a dead man from orbit, Pearl. <laughs> um, she suggests some rewrites and goes on, uh, to rewrite the play. Uh, Stephen hands over the, uh, revised copy of the play to Jamie, who loves it but laments that, like, they'd have to do so much work and also Mere Dewey would hate this new version of the play uh, because it kind of shows a more realistic light of what happened with Mayor Dewey, or not Mayor Dewey, William Dewey. Uh, uh, but Stephen reminds him that, you know, you must struggle to be a, you know, to be human is to struggle. Uh, and Jamie's like, yeah, let's fucking do it. So uh, cut to opening night. Uh there's a great interaction between Mayor Dewey and Pearl, where Pearl just gets up and fucking leaves Mayor Dewey mid-sentence. It's very good. Uh, the play starts, and it's Jamie and Stephen. They're on a little boat. Basically, it tells the story of Mayor Dewey, or not Mayor Dewey, William Dewey, uh, how everybody kind of thinks back home, thinks he's a fuck-up, uh, and that he, this, this expedition is not going the way that he wants. Um, during the expedition, uh, there is a storm... Uh, they are and they are accosted by a monster after meeting the crystal gems who all tell him to turn back. Uh, the monster takes his first mate buddy, drags him into the ocean uh, where Mayor or William Dewey, I'm gonna call, keep calling him Mayor Dewey uh, watches as the monster comes for his boat only to be thwarted by uh, what is presumed to be the temple fusion. Uh, or at least Alexandrite, but it looked like it had six arms, right? No, it was the quadruple noogie. Okay, so it had four arms, so it was Alexandrite. Yeah. Um, so Alexandrite uh, fights off whatever this probably gem monster was um, and saves William Dewey. Uh, 
Alexanderite's like, yo, you should leave. This place is dangerous. And William Dewey's like, no, I'm not going to leave because I'm not going to be a failure. I'm going to persevere because that's what I do. Even though I, you know, I get knocked down, I get back up again. You're never going to keep me down. Um, And uh, he's like, I'm going to name this town in uh, in uh, honor of my dead first mate, uh, Buddy. And Buddy washes ashore. He's like, I'm not dead. He's like, oh, well, we'll call it Beach City then. Fuck it. Uh, the end of the play, the play ends with uh, a slogan for Mayor Dewey. They start doing the Mayor Dewey chant. Everybody loves the play uh, because it showed like a real actual person told a real actual story. Uh, Mayor Dewey comes up to uh, Stephen and um, Jamie afterwards and is like, hey, good job with the rewrites. You made the right choice here. Uh, Jamie, I'm going to reward you for this by basically putting you in charge of the community theater of Beach City. Uh, you can keep doing plays as long as you stay within your budget. And Jamie is very excited about this. Um, uh, Steven says that Pearl helped them with the script. Uh, Mayor Dewey tries to mack on Pearl, to which Pearl pats him on the head as though he's an actual child. Uh, Steven makes a joke about, like, you've got to always end on a joke. Uh, they don't star wipe the end. <sighs> Jamie, I like that everybody older than Stephen in Beach City, except for Lars, is very nice to Stephen. Yes, I enjoy. I enjoy whenever Stephen has a positive interaction with the townies. Mm-hmm. Like it's just, it's very cute. I like how well liked Stephen is. I like how not mean most older people are. Um, it's just very nice. Uh, I also <laughs> noted here, Stephen needs to join us on Monday nights with that accent. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. So, uh, that is according to the subtitles supposed to be an Italian accent. I mean, it's vaguely Italian, I guess. Yeah. It's, it's a that me, is, a Stephen. <laughs> that is what the subtitles claim it's supposed to be. So. Uh, play as written by Mayor Dewey is. A lot. Yeah. I like that Mayor Dewey turns the chair around backwards. Uh, subtle yeah. character things to make you hate him. <laughs> yeah. I'm not necessarily hate him. He's kind of scummy, but he's not a terrible dude. Yeah, he's just. Yeah. He's just a dude. Yeah. Unfortunately, that makes him, like, the second worst man in Beach City, though, so. <sighs> I think Lars is the worst man in Beach City. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, I think, um, I think that, uh, Jamie's resourcefulness is, uh, a nice touch, when yeah. it comes to uh, putting on this production, presumably on a shoestring budget. Right. He cannot have a whole lot of money, though. Maybe they could have spent less money on the just bitchin' sound system that this stage has. Well, I mean, I guess they are repurposing a thing they already had, though, because we've seen this yeah. thing before. So, yeah, that's the same stage from Beachapalooza. So, yeah, Um. 
I like that JB JB's showing some actually like good critiquing skills of trying to like get some suggestions in there to Mayor Dewey. Mm-hmm. Like uh, I've done this particularly to clients on like Fiverr, where I'm like, y- you need to make this change because otherwise I can't do this. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then Mayor Dewey is probably like those other clients on Fiverr who are just like, no, no. Uh, I did her, think that. Oh, uh, oh, go on. Sorry, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go on. I did think that it was uh, very interesting the way that this kind of demonstrates that, like, we we already knew the gems had been there since before Beach City was founded. We we were told that um, back in uh uh. What's who's it? The last Ronaldo episode with the long name. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, we'd already been told that before, but this also just kind of like furthers the point. Not only had the gems been here since before Beach City, but they also were not necessarily, well, yeah, integral to the founding of Beach City because if it hadn't been for them, you know, William Dewey wouldn't have even made it that far. So, right. you know, they are inextricably bla- bound to the fabric of the city because they were here first and it wouldn't be here without their intervention. Yeah, that's a pretty solid point. Like they are, they are intrinsic to, I don't, I wonder why, I don't think that we ever explained why they chose beach city in particular. Cause they built the temple most likely. Yeah. I mean, we haven't, if, if they said it, up until this point i sure don't remember it i don't think i think maybe we'll get into it maybe we get into it when bismuth pops up but i don't think bismuth has a room in the temple so it's not like a crystal gems base hmm i don't know um anyways uh man pearl is just some like solid depression moods there when steven yeah. walks in mm-hmm uh, just like I've been there, <laughs> staring at yep. a ceiling. Yep, yep, sure, sure is a thing that I have done in the past. Definitely not anything I've done recently. Nope, no sorry. Nope. <laughs> uh, Pearl's got all the mom vibes this episode. <laughs> she really does. I th- I think it's very cute. I especially love the bit where she's like. You know, yelling and waving, hi, Steven. Yeah, like, that's my baby. <laughs> it's so, it's so fucking cute. Um, it really is. She's very proud of Steven. Yeah, and like, she's she's being supportive of mm-hmm. his, frankly, foolish foray into community theater. Yeah. Like, he wants to do this, so she's going to, to write him. Uh, a better play and you know he participated in the writing of it um so yeah it was like very they, cute. they collaborated which was nice also yeah. i feel like shows some growth of pearl who normally would have just done the whole thing herself mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh i love uh Pearl nuking fucking William Dewey from Orbit with the like yes. ruggedly handsome is a bit of a stretch. Like yes. Jesus Christ, Pearl, the man's already dead. Um, just it's, remains it's a burn. 
Mm-hmm. It's a burn so epic, even his descendants feel it. It's true. Well, she makes sure. She makes sure that his descendants feel it. Yep. Uh, I love it. Like, Mayor Dewey sitting down immediately being like, well, you know, I wrote this play and just stands up and leaves. Mm-hmm. Uh, so good. Question. Yes. Why is Jamie doing shadow puppets? Honestly, I just assumed because it was a cheap way to get those quote-unquote special effects. Uh, those are not expensive. <laughs> you can make them out of anything, pretty much. You can make them out of aluminum foil if you want to. I've done it before. You gotta make it out of something not flammable, because I'm assuming they're still using like old lights at this point. Uh, because LED theater lights are... Not new, but like this came out a little while ago. And also you still would if you were trying to save a buck, you wouldn't have bought them at the time. Mm. Uh, and they will fucking burn up a thing. Man, I accidentally burned the image of a like a star into my hand because some motherfucker we were changing them out. Um, gobos. That's it. I can not remember the name of them. We were changing out the gobos and um, he had the light on. And I told, like, we were changing them out, and I'm like, hey, is this off? And I'm like, yeah, he's like, yeah, and I'm like, did you turn it off, like, just now, or has it been off? And he's like, ah, it's been off, and I'm like, okay, and then I grabbed it to pull the thing out of there, uh, and it, he had just turned it off, so it, like, burned into my hand. It was a good time. I almost went down there and fought that, fought that light guy. I uh, don't blame you. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, Brian. Mm-hmm. Their their budget didn't even include enough uh, <laughs> enough for him to have like a wig for Garnet and for Amethyst he had to use a mop. Like, well, well, I don't think there was a wig that he could have gotten that would have emulated Garnet's hair. I think he did the best that he could. He's also Listen, not. If- <laughs> If if I were going to cosplay Garnet, I mm-hmm. would probably use like foam and not a cardboard box. Mm, that's fair. Getting all that foam on short notice, though. He only had like theoretically a day to get this all together. So, yeah, um, I'm just saying like the shadow puppets don't strike me as being terribly out of place considering all of the improvisation and the lack of budget that That's he true. had. That's true. Um, I do like the little callback to Love Letter uh, when he's pretending to be Garnet. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> Very good. Uh, <laughs> uh, the... And basically, like, I've only got, like, and then at the end when Pearl uh, obliterates Mayor Dewey by patting him on the head like he's a real, like he's a child to her uh, is also did, great. Did you notice that Nanafwa, like, fucking smacked Jamie's ass? No. She did. Jesus, Nanafwa. <laughs> That's exactly what I have written down. What? Is Jesus Nanafwa. Why did she do that? Hold on a second. Pull this did. episode back up. What the fuck? Nanafwa. <laughs> Listen, I know you stopped giving a shit when you're old, but come on. 
Yeah, she either like smacks his ass or gooses him, but you can definitely see her hand go behind his character model in the butt area and Jamie jumps. It's like right after he's signing the autographs. Yeah, she does, doesn't she? It's weird. Uh It's like she turns around and touches him like. That was definitely a butt grab. Yeah. Why are you doing that, Nanafall? That's not appropriate. No, no, it is not. Um, but that's about it. <laughs> yeah. Historical friction, not the deepest episode in the world. No. Uh, all right. Uh, let's move on to friendship, a deep episode, <laughs> very deep episode. Uh, episode 67, friend space ship. Uh, this one was written by, uh, Joe Johnston and Jeff Liu, of course. Uh, <laughs> here it is. Here's the worst one. This is the one you were talking about, isn't it? Mm-hmm. The Crystal Gems explored ancient gem ship. This is not true. No. They don't even do that. Like... No. Jesus. The episode begins with Peridot trying to fix the homeworld warp at the Galaxy Warp. Uh, the Crystal Gems uh, warp in and locate her, Pearl enthusiastically saying that her plan worked. Um... Peridot questions how they found her, and Steven responds that uh, by telling her that they found a secret way to track her, and that he'll never tell her, even if she asks him nicely, and then taunts her by making a face. Uh, They have a fight where Pearl is overly enthusiastic about the whole thing, kind of getting in everyone's way because she's trying to jump in to get Peridot herself. Um, Hijinks ensue, basically uh, allowing Peridot to eventually warp out of there. Uh, back at the temple, we, uh, everyone is kind of upset <laughs> about how things went with Peridot, um, though Pearl is like, listen, it wasn't complete waste, we figured out that my system is working, every time that she warps, we can track her using the escape pod, um, and Pearl is confident that they're going to, uh, with this, that they will be able to catch Peridot and eventually uh, put this whole part of their lives behind us. She says this kind of like while looking at Garnet with a smile that becomes sadder and sadder as Garnet basically fucking ignores her the whole time. Um, this prompts Amethyst to ask if there's something that maybe the two of them should be talking about. Though at the uh, as she does that, the escape pod lights up uh, and Pearl projects... Um, a globe that has Peridot's location on it. Um, Pearl and Garnet walk over to the warp pad while Steven mentions that at least Pearl is optimistic, though Amethyst agrees, saying that even if Pearl catches Peridot, Garnet will not forgive her for, for the things that she did, like for trying to trick her into fusing it, or for tricking her into fusing into Sardonyx. Um, the Crystal Gems warp to a derelict gem colony ship, uh, Pearl asserts that the Peridot is running out of options and that she has cornered herself inside the ship. Steven um, is about to ask something, but Pearl interrupts him with the assumption that he wanted information about the warship. Uh, she explains that long ago, the gym used ancient vessels to fly to Earth before the warp system was built. Um, Pearl adds that the ships were abandoned in favor of the warp pads, using them as a means of transportation on and off the planet. Um, 
or sorry, that using them as a means of transportation off the planet is basically impossible because they're derelict at this point. Uh, Garnet reminds Pearl that they need to move on, but Pearl interrupts her, exclaiming that uh, they need to get back on task, uh, and Pearl enthusiastically leads everybody on as Stephen and Amethyst sort of glance at each other nervously. Uh, they enter the ancient ship, which is completely overgrown by wildlife. Uh, a small object on a console lights up and projects a holographic screen revealing Peridot. Uh, she insults the gems, uh, calling them clods. Uh, and Pearl retorts by saying that she is dull as dirt if she thinks that this vessel is going to fly away. Uh, Steven uh, relays this message after Peridot asks them to repeat it because the, they you know, didn't come through because all this machinery is very old. Uh uh, to which Peridot laughs at her at last at the maniacally. She reveals that she was luring the gems into a trap instead of flying away. And the gym entrance or the ship's entrance closes. Pearl realizes her mistake. And after and then uh, basically they get shot at by lasers. Uh, avoid some spikies. Steven summons his shield, which he did previously in the battle. The other battle, uh, the they dodge some. uh Drills. Sorry, I couldn't think of the drills. Basically, all while, like, Peridot just screams and laughs maniacally in the background. It's great. Um, they chase uh, a vision of Peridot down a hall, only to discover that it is a, a hologram. Um, Pearl attacks it vigorously. Um, Garnet admonishes her for this, and Pearl starts to say... Uh, that they that she has to do something because she led them into a trap uh, when suddenly the floor drops out from under them. Uh, Amethyst catches Stephen using her whips, uh, but Garnet and Pearl fall to the bottom. Stephen asks if they're OK, and as they reply that they're fine, the door uh, on them shuts, trapping them inside some kind of box. Uh, Amethyst and Stephen rush to the console to try and let them out uh, as Garnet and Pearl struggle to get out of there. They're about to release them when Pearl and Garnet start talking to each other, so Amethyst kind of holds back. Um, Pearl... Sorry, I lost my place on my thing. Pearl apologizes to Garnet, uh, saying that things should not have turned out uh, the way that they are. Garnet reassures Pearl that they will escape somehow, but Pearl clarifies that she wanted to catch Peridot in order to gain Garnet's trust again and show her that everything can go back to normal. Garnet admonishes her for this and tells her that this isn't about Peridot, and catching her wouldn't restore their relationship. Um, per, uh, Amethyst and Steven are happy that they're both finally talking to each other uh, when the gears start to turn and they Garnet and Pearl are about to be fucking crushed. Uh, Pearl asks uh, Garnet while they're being crushed um, what sh uh, she can do to ha to be forgiven, but Garnet asserts that uh, she can't be forgiven, uh, that she lied to Garnet, that she has to learn their consequences to her action, and Pearl explains that she couldn't help herself. Uh, she tried to be strong like Garnet, but couldn't. Uh, and she believes that she's useless on her own and needs someone to tell her what to do. Uh, Amethyst jams the gear system with her whip, uh, which stops the walls from moving temporarily. Uh, Pearl goes on to explain to Garnet that uh, when she fuses with Garnet, she's able to feel like Garnet. She inherits Garnet's confidence and security and completeness. Um, 
and in her and in Pearl's eyes, Garnet is perfect since Ruby and Sapphire are the perfect relationship and Pearl simply wanted to be part of that. Uh, Garnet denies Pearl's statement, saying that she's not as strong as Pearl thinks that she is. Garnet reveals that she had uh, a falling out, as it were, uh, between Ruby and Sapphire. Uh, who were conflicted over Pearl's actions. Garnet explains that she has weakness too, um, but she she doesn't let them consume her, and she knows that she has to stay composed because it has an effect on the team. Uh, that there, Garnet says that there are times that she looks up to Pearl for strength and asserts that Pearl is her own gem, that she's unique in her own way, and that she, she doesn't need anyone to tell her what to do, not Garnet, not Rose, not Steven. Um... The whip breaks and they uh, are beginning to be crushed when uh, Garnet looks at Pearl and says, uh, we've got to do it. Pearl says, okay, but only if you're okay with it. And then they fuse into Sardonyx quickly, bust out, then unfuse. Uh, the gems corner Peridot in the ship's control room uh, and demand that she surrenders. Peridot simp- uh, is like, haha, this is only the beginning of my plan to escape and shoots through the roof and begins to helicopter the fuck out of there um, while taunting the gyms the whole time. Steven jumps on, grabbing her by the foot. Then Amethyst grabs on Steven. Pearl grabs on to Amethyst. Garnet is pulling them down. Um, they look like they're about to capture Peridot when finally she relents, reaches down and like touches the edge of her, her ankle, uh, detaching her foot from her body and then flying the fuck away. Uh... At the, uh, at the end, uh, Pearl is like, it's okay, Steven, next time we're gonna get all of her, and then Garnet makes a, a joke about feet, and Amethyst lays down on the fucking ground in relief and says, finally, star wipe at the end. Uh. So. <laughs> so, so I feel like where we're going to be having a lot of conversations about Garnet and Pearl's conversation here. Yeah, um, I do think I do think that with as like depressed as mm-hmm. Pearl has been in the past couple of episodes, like the the sort of mania that she exhibits here feels a little out of left field. Um, um, I can get behind this as a person who also deals with his depression by trying to, like, uh, fix problems, like seeing things as a problems that can be fixed and then just kind of getting into, like, a real deep, like, uh, focus on that. <laughs> uh, I can see this of going from completely lethargic to, uh, absolutely manic. I understand this. It just brings back flashbacks to say uncle and like the way that she she got portrayed there and it just like i don't know the uh fuck what's what's pearl's voice actress's name mimi mimi yeah her first name was mimi is it hang on i'm gonna google it is that that doesn't sound right to me dd sorry dd okay yeah just just the the performance that she turned in for both feel very similar uh yeah but i think the difference is like the context around them i think i think pearl is acting panic here um 
because she's like nervous and trying to get at a thing. Uh, I think the difference is the context around it where a, not everybody's playing like their same character turned up to a trillion like mm-hmm. in uh, that. And also I think Garnet's being a fucking prick this whole episode. <laughs> yeah, but that, that isn't different. Yeah, it's true, but, like, it's the escalation of, like, trying to get anything out of there and becoming more and more desperate. I feel like I've become Pearl at moments like this, Uh, so maybe that's why it doesn't strike me as as bad, because I feel like I've done this level of, like, manic trying to fix a problem. Mm. Uh, I have a tendency to get worked up like that, so. Fair. Um... But I don't so and also like I don't know if the is the show trying to make Garnet look like a prick. (laughs) I feel like, yeah. Okay, because I I was I I was a little worried about because like at the beginning, like the whole kerfuffle that happens at the beginning of the episode, like or especially like the inciting incident where like Garnet and Pearl like run into each other while trying to catch Peridot. Like that's not Pearl's fault. (laughs) They were both trying to do the thing. Mm-hmm. Like, Garnet's the one with goddamn future vision here. Like. Yeah. I I did not get the impression that the show was pulling any punches with regards to how Garnet is being unreasonable. Yeah. Either. Like. Especially, especially like down in the in the uh, trash compactor. When uh, she's like, you know, I don't want to hear your your excuses. And it's like Pearl is genuinely trying to be vulnerable here. Uh, And Garnet is being dismissive. Yeah, I like I had I wrote I wrote a rant into my notes (laughs) Um, because I was so mad about this. I'm like, all right. So like Garnet has every right to be mad. Yes, there's no. Garnet's anger in this situation is not unreasonable or unfounded or invalid. Uh, She should be mad because Pearl did lie to her about uh, an extremely important and intimate thing to her. I get this, right? But Pearl is realizing her mistake in trying to make good. Now, if there's nothing that she can do to do with the make good, then fine. Tell her that so she's not fucking like burning herself to a goddamn crisp trying to do that for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, like she is coming at you in good faith. You're you don't you're not required to give her any energy back, but you can at least tell her like, hey, this isn't gonna work. Like, let's not, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um. Because like, I mean, doing things because you're depressed or feel bad about yourself that hurt other people is still not like is not a valid excuse for doing those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, I don't know. I empathize with Pearl here because I've also been, uh, I've hit rock bottom and done a lot of bad shit in my life. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's easy to be like, when you get depressed, it's real easy to be self-destructive. And I've done those things often. So. Yeah. And Pearl kind of has a history of being self-destructive anyway. So. Yeah. And somebody uh, who knows who knows her for so long, like Garnet, should know this. But obviously, like, I, 
it's pretty obvious that the uh, gym empire doesn't understand what mental health is. So. <laughs> yeah. Although it, it is interesting to me that the gyms are, you know, they are demonstrating some emotional intelligence here with actually talking through their issues for once in their life. Yeah. And it's growth. It sometimes it takes sometimes it takes almost dying in a trash compactor to to to, to finally like yeah to grow but you grow right yeah um i do love Although, the giant peridot face screaming die 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 it it's very good peridot continues to to have extreme gremlin energy in a in a different way than onion does for sure mm-hmm. um i love how steven is consistently very friendly with peridot <laughs> um Steven's default mode is friend-shaped. It's true. <laughs> have a good weekend. Everybody looks Yeah. Up. I mean, have a bad weekend. <laughs> so I do want to make a couple of comments about the, the ship itself. Yeah. First of all, I love the way they make the gem tech seem futuristic, but also obviously old compared to what we've seen previously of mm-hmm. like newer gem tech. Like, that's some A-plus environmental design. Like, even aside from being overgrown, it just doesn't look as slick as the stuff that we've seen previously, but it still very clearly is alien technology. Right, right. It's it's very... I like the very crystally, Like, especially of the old gym tech, where it has this more, like, regal, elegant sort of old world like it's got like a futuristic old world vibe to it future baroque yeah but then like when obviously we've seen with like peridot in the handship like they don't give a like they stopped giving a fuck about like uh aesthetic a long time ago apparently Mm Hmm. so also why is this like why is this colony ship made of traps well, just what I'm why? thinking is that, like, Peridot is just repurposing, like, uh, things that were on the ship, like a defense system and stuff like that, into traps. I guess. Because it probably had some... Because they sent it here uh, during the gym war, I assume. So, like, it probably had some level of self def- Like, some kind of defense system, which I think is what the lasers and the drills are. Mm-hmm. And then maybe the other thing is just, in fact, just a trash compactor. Yeah. Uh, the most lethal thing in the world, a sci-fi trash compactor. It's true. It will fucking get you. Th- th- things to be worried about as a child. It's, uh, quicksand trash compactors, sometimes together. Yes. Um. Th- so... You have you seen later in the show Peridot? I know that Peridot is using prosthetic limbs and is actually a a very small creature. Okay, because I wanted to get your reaction to the foot blowing off, but obviously you know what's up with the Peridot. Yes, I know. I know bigger Peridot theory. (laughs) Uh, I definitely took this as like a reference to team rocket when she's like blasting off again 
Um, I, apparently this is like a, like the wiki says that this is possibly a reference to Inspector Gadget. Yes, I actually wrote that I'll get you back is the same energy as I'll get you next time, Gadget, next time. Yeah, because apparently he also leaves his hand behind a lot. Yes. So. Uh, so yes. there it is. So I, I guess that that I guess it is an Inspector Gadget reference because like I, I, I didn't watch a lot of Inspector Gadget as a kid. I fucking loved it, but my parents hated it and it probably doesn't hold up very well. No. Uh, I'm sure it doesn't. <laughs> I watched the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles like a lot, so yeah, that was like same. my my go to show. Um, and maybe because I had a ton of their action figures, because there were so many Ninja Turtle action figures that they regularly ended up in the clearance bin, so mm-hmm. I could just buy. It probably built my love of like just off off the wall shit from like major brands because like I'm like, ah, yes, I love all of these classic movie monster Ninja Turtles because they're just the things that I had. So I just developed an affinity for them. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Which is why my room is full filled with only Funko Pops of shit no one's heard of. I got a re a re-geese, a Star Wars Funko Pop here. Jedi Master Regis. Okay. <laughs> He's the one with the you... three eyes. Okay. <laughs> you know exactly how much I care about Star Wars. I'm sorry, dude. <laughs> I, do, I think people who care about Star Wars don't know who Regis is. <laughs> um, but yeah, like... I mean, it was good character growth. They talked. They talked and they moved past this by talking. Um, yes. And. In true Steven Universe fashion, I'm not expecting this to be fully resolved, but I am expecting them to be talking more. I think it's mostly, to be perfectly honest, uh, this is kind of the end of this arc. They get. They, the, the character dynamics change, uh, but mm-hmm. not necessarily like. They're not stipping at each other. There's just like a lot more flow of conversation about their feelings and such between Garnet and Pearl for going forward. So there is so in a sense, this does get touched on again, but in a more subtle way, Uh, Mm -hmm. mostly because like after the next two episodes that we do next week, uh, the plot arrives and no one has any time to be mad at each other. fair because uh after the next two episodes the world is under threat and so it's like all right well pushing all that shit (laughs) we're we're all the same team right we all don't want to blow up yeah we all don't want to blow up sweet great (laughs) so uh a cataclysmic event will do quite a bit to heal a relationship yeah at least temporarily that's fair Well, that was all I had. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much my notes. Um, so, so yeah, next time we're going to be just watching just two episodes. Uh, this time we will be watching uh, Nightmare Hospital and Sadie's Song, 68 and 69. Nice. Um... The so 
prep yourself. We're gonna uh, we get some time with Mrs. Mahesh Warren again, though better this time. Mm. Uh, sort of. We get there. Mm. Uh, and then also we get a Sadie episode. So, so definitely. That's yay. always fun. Yeah. We also get to meet Sadie's mom, too. It's two mom episodes back to back. Well, we've met Sadie's mom already, right? True, but we get to spend, like, we get some, t- like, we get some, like, interaction between Sadie and Barb. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah, so there's just a bunch of mom episodes in this, in this, uh, cluster yeah. of shows. Because we've got the, you know, Onion Friend and Fidelia. Wow. Sorry, I just read the episode synopsis for the episode that we'll be doing after that, uh, Catch and Release, and it's got, uh, it's going to take, it's going to take the throne for worst, uh, episode synopsis. Oh, boy. Wow. Uh. I can't wait. Yep. So, alrighty. Um. Get on our Discord. I might set a reminder in my phone to, like, post about, I need to get better about this. Because I do like interacting with you all on Discord and getting your opinions on stuff. I just need to ask you ahead of time so you guys can watch the episodes or at the very least look up the wiki so you can, like, remember it. Um, so, uh, we do like you. Come join our Discord. It's in the link in the description below. Um, also, theoretically, by the time this comes out, I'll have worked out the money issues and our... Uh, podcasting network or podcasting guild uh i keep calling it i I called it a network in the email because i didn't want to try and explain to them what a guild was Mm -hmm. (laughs) um seemed simpler in the in in the uh the email to the the people um but we are sponsoring uh Paris's Bumping's Solid Gold 2021 20, uh, event uh, that will be happening in July. It is a wrestling uh, pay-per-view put on by the company Paris's Bumping. Um, and uh, we, <laughs> we are sponsoring the main event of this <laughs> thing, uh, which is going to be actually apparently a historic main event because it's the first... A wrestling main event uh, in a promotion, at least I guess known. This probably like there may we don't I don't know this for a hundred percent fact, but for as far as they can tell, this is the first uh, main event featuring two uh, trans trans uh, women wrestlers in the main event. So they're going against each other. Should be a good main event. There's also going to be a uh, there's going to be like a Vogue death match. Uh, Which sounds fun. Yeah, basically the loser of the Vogue gets hit with a fucking light tube. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) So this sounds like it's going to be a pretty fun event. I might reach out to some of the wrestlers in the meantime and see if I can't get somebody on our show. Um, I bet some of them have watched Steven Universe. Uh, And we pay our guests pretty okay, so. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm probably going to just get on there. I might just reach out to one of the two competitors in the main event and be like, hey, we're sponsoring this main event. Don't feel obligated. But, you know, uh, we pay our guests. If you want to come on, we, you know, we would love to have you. So. All righty. Well, I think that is it. Uh, Oh, I guess check out our other shows. 
room where it happened. Dumb kids playing hero. Follow the leader. Mm-hmm. Um, Escaville Files. That's always a good one. Uh, I was on the Escaville Files. I will be on the Escaville Files. I still continue to have not read any Animorphs books, though. <laughs> so, I wondered about that. Yeah, I didn't read. I read the Wikipedia summary of the episode right, be- like literally right before we went to air, so I could form at least some vague opinions and be of use. Oh my god! Um, but also taken in a vacuum, this particular uh, issue of the series does not <laughs> do fucking anything. So, good times. Good times. Mm-hmm. Um. Alrighty. Well. Uh, who did it? Oh, wait, wait, we had, we had Tanner and Lindsay do it, uh, last time. Sure did. All right. You want to do it or you want me to do it? I'll do it. All right, go for it. All right, everybody. I exhort you to be like Cookie Cat and leave your family behind. Peace. Peace.